I'm not really somebody who's wired to receive gifts. We kind of talked about this last week. I don't absolutely love being given presents. If there's an object out there that I want, I've either said it's too expensive or I've bought it. And so it's, it's kind of this balance of anybody who's going to buy me a gift is probably not going to wow me by getting that wow gift out there. And then also for me, I, I'm just kind of frugal. I don't like spending, and I don't like when people spend a whole lot on me. And so I'm, I'm a tough person to get a gift for, but my wife has worked hard to make sure that there are gifts that I receive that are beneficial gifts. Now, here's just a little family moment. My wife said, hey, listen, don't check Amazon orders because you have a gift coming. And then an hour later this morning, I got the notification, and it just pops up, this has shipped, and it shows the item right there. And so, uh, so my sweet wife has gifted me. Um, you know, I've talked about how I really like moleskin notebooks. Uh, she bought me a leather cover for the, like, you can just slide the moleskin into a cover to kind of protect the, the notebook. And so uh, I was kind of geeking out about it, and I thought, oh, that'd be great. So guess what I'm getting for Christmas? I know that for sure. But, I, but there's just different barriers for me. Getting, getting surprised or, or just really loving to receive a gift. But my wife knocked it out of the park one time. Uh, for about six months leading up to graduation uh, of my most recent program, she, she asked friends and family members, former professors, church members, uh, former students that have gone through youth ministry with me, just, just ran the gamut on all sorts of people that have been meaningful in my life to to write a note of encouragement or thanks or gratitude to the impact I've made in their life. And so as I'm getting ready to graduate, she says, oh, here, here's this for you as well. I'm like, you got me a book. I love books, but it's just kind of that weird, it's not a book I would read. It, it was like this kind of thin hardback. I was like, this, is, this has to be a children's book. has to be, because it just had that build. You know, like when it's wrapped up, it felt like a children's book, not a book that I would read. And I open it up. I'm like, what in the world is this? And I open the page, and it's just note after note after note of encouragement um, from people. And so there are former students who wrote saying how appreciative they were of ministry. There are family members that I haven't got to speak to in a meaningful way in years that, that commented about you know, me growing up and stuff like that. There are professors from undergrad. There, I mean, it's just, it just ran the list of all the important people. And I got that gift, and I was like, that is awesome. That is an incredible gift. And I, I rejoiced, I, I celebrated in receiving the gift in the way that I celebrate and receive awesome gifts. I turned to my wife and looked at her and said, this is great, thank you. Like there was no jumping up and down, there was no cheers or anything like that. You will not see me do that, that is not how I celebrate. In fact, like one of the most fake things about me, I can say that, one of the things that's just not, like, not real, is my celebration at sporting events. Like, I am loud. If the Cowboys are playing, and in fact, I get admonished for this on a regular basis, kids are in bed, those 7 o'clock kickoffs are hard for my family um, because I am yelling at the TV and we have children in bed. But it's just not real because it doesn't actually convey, it, it's just like this, it's this fake excitement. I'm not saying like I'm, like, saying I'm not excited. It's just not true excitement because when I go from like sporting event to real excitement, the volume just kind of ratchets down. Like when I'm dealing with true excitement, when I'm absolutely pumped, there's no yelling. Like I'm just this calm, collected. My heart is just taking in what is so exciting. And so I don't muster up 
this jumping up and down or anything like that. I turn to my wife and say, this is, this is great. Thank you. And I, I, love, I love that gift. Now, there's, there's things about receiving gifts that really do make them valuable. And I, I think you've had this experience, and maybe I've had this experience, and maybe you've not thought through it this way. There's really two primary factors that impact, at least for me anyway. Number one is the value. Like, if it doesn't have to be financially valuable. It just has to be meaningful. Now, there are some things that are financially valuable. That, like, listen, I talk about I don't love receiving big gifts, but if my wife were to show up with a brand new truck on Christmas morning, I would be excited. It wouldn't be oh, well, that's over the price point that I'm comfortable with. So No, 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 like, there would be excitement, absolutely. And so, yes, financially, there are things that raise it, but there are other things of, of value, of meaning, where we, we sit there, and it's like, it's just so important to us. You know, this is, this is those, those things that your kids have created for you or made for you, and because of who it came from, it just has so much intrinsic value. Or it's so in line with what you're passionate about that it has great value. And so the value of a gift kind of impacts our heart and our readiness to receive it. And the other part is the amount of surprise. Like it, it, there's just something about being surprised where your heart is disoriented. You just were not prepared for that. And so when you get caught off guard emotionally, when your heart gets caught off guard with a gift, you respond to it better. And so, I listen, you've all said this to, to maybe brothers or sisters or if you've snuck in and found out what a gift is before receiving it, or you've read it, or you've even said it to yourself, okay, listen, on Christmas Day, act surprised. Like, just act surprised. Because if you don't act surprised, they'll know that you knew. So act surprised. And so on Christmas morning, I am not going to act surprised about my journal cover. There's no way. Because I've already told my wife, hey, guess what just popped up? Um, and so I can't fake surprise. And so when I receive that gift... It will not be the same. It won't, as if I hadn't known. Like, if there was su surprise that was a part of receiving that gift, I would respond differently. And it's just that part of that, that where our heart's not pre prepared for something, it just catches us off guard, and that's when those true emotions kind of come out. It's like, yeah, I didn't have time to think about it. I didn't have time to say, oh, look, the one under the tree that's thin and it kind of looks like a moleskin notebook... I already know what that is. And so when you pick it up and you know exactly what it is, like those emotions don't well up within you because you, you know. Like the impact of surprise is gone. And so when we receive gifts, the value and the amount of unexpectation, is that a word that can be used there? Anyway, but the amount of surprise that we have impacts how we receive it. And so as we are in this Advent season, as we're looking forward to the anticipation of the birth of Christ, as if Christ coming to earth was the ultimate gift ever. We, we've started thinking through how our hearts are prepared, but, but what I want to kind of put on, on our minds is one of the reasons we celebrate is because the advent of Christ, Christ coming to earth, was, of course, of exponentially high value, but it was surprising. Because if you, if you look at the Christmas story, the advent of Christ on earth, it's just... Detail after detail after detail of, oh, I didn't think it would be that way. And so you have, of course, in the, in the early narrative of, of Jesus and Jesus' birth being heralded, heralded in, you, you have where, where God, the angel appears to Mary, who is of no importance. She's a nobody. And so the king of kings, the savior of the world, will be ushered in by, by nobody. Well, that's, that's pretty surprising. 
And then you go past that and you look at who are the people who are going around announcing the birth of Jesus. Who are the first ones to find out? And it's these shepherds in the field. And it's like, well, why, why, would, you, why would you herald in the birth of the Savior of, of the world with, with shepherds? It's surprising. And it goes on, and you see in the midst of Jesus' ministry that the people were waiting on this Messiah, the Savior of all things. The idea that that Jesus would reestablish the kingdom of Israel in a way that would bring them back to the status of world power. And what you get instead is somebody comes in and he does miracles, of course, and he heals people, but, but the leadership of that nation never even jumps on board. Okay, it, he doesn't even have the backing of the religious people, and so he comes in and he's... he's some people would even accuse him of being passive. Why? Why not get up in arms, Jesus? Why not start the revolution, Jesus? Why not overthrow the government, Jesus? Why not even speak against the people? It's surprising. It's unexpected. So last week, we talked about a guy who, who was the message bearer for Jesus, who was ushering in the message that Jesus' ministry is here. Jesus is here, and you need to prepare your hearts. John the Baptist walked around saying, repent, repent, repent. Get your hearts ready to receive Jesus. Get your hearts ready. But, but John was not given this pass to go around at will. In fact, John met so much opposition that he ends up arrested and he's in prison. And so we find himself in this really in- interesting situation. And we'll, we'll be in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Where John has gone around and he has created enemies for himself, but to put himself in prison. And he can't. He can't come to terms in his own mind whether or not things are actually real. It just doesn't feel right. Because if, if Jesus the Messiah was going to come create this new kingdom on earth, reestablish Israel as this great nation, then wouldn't it look a little bit different? Matthew 11, verse 1. When, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, a little bit of backstory for John. Like, this, is a pretty, this is a pretty big question for John the Baptist to ask. Like, we have early in, in the Gospels this account of where Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant, and, and John's mother is pregnant, and, and the two moms get together, and when Mary approaches, John is so excited, like, like little baby fetus John in his mommy's tummy is so excited about the approach of little baby fetus Jesus that he actually jumps inside the womb. Like he's, he's moving extra because Jesus is near. And so even, even while he had not been birthed, John is excited about the presence of Jesus. And he goes around saying, there's somebody greater after me, coming after me. There's somebody greater coming after me. There's somebody greater coming after me. And so when it is time to kind of give up his ministry and, and usher in the ministry of Jesus, he willingly ushers in the ministry of Jesus because this is what he had been working toward. But then in verse 3, in the midst of prison, he asks this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else. 
There's a lot of different thoughts on why John would ask this question. And I think where I, I land on it is that John found himself in a situation that he did not really understand. I think John was coming to terms with the fact that what Jesus was bringing into the world was different than what anyone had ever expected. Time and time again, you see Jesus correct the disciples, his followers. Like, well, well Jesus, wouldn't, if, you know, wouldn't you do that? And Jesus said, no, now's not the time for that. And then religious leaders say, why are you hanging out with those types of people? And you say, well, those are the types of people that I came for. And so the experts in, in the Jewish religion would say, but that's not what the Messiah is supposed to do. And Jesus said, well, no, that's exactly what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so you just have this misunderstanding after misunderstanding of what Jesus was and what he was supposed to be about. And I think that even carried over to John. And so when John is in the midst of prison, he needs some reassurance. He needs to know that he's not there in vain. So Jesus replied to them, to the disciples of John, um, who had asked the question. Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So to give John reassurance that Jesus is in fact who he says he is. To give John reassurance the fact that his ministry was not in vain. He goes back to some of the things that even the prophet Isaiah had said would be true of the Messiah. These are things that that were prophesied of the Messiah. The lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the blind would receive sight. And it gives John this reassurance. and, and, And I cannot imagine any response to John except for that calm, collected, thank you. Thank you for that reassurance. And when we receive these unexpected things, these realities, there's this comfort that things will be. But John, he hears this reassurance that Jesus is coming through and he, he is the good news. And so we have this ushering in of the kingdom. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the sick will be healed, the dead will be raised. The poor will receive good news. And for the people of the day, that those would be the focal points of the Messiah, that was incredibly surprising. It was disorienting. They were not prepared for a Messiah, for a Savior, to be one who did those things. But those are the things that Christ wants to do even in our own lives right now. The healing of the heart is one of the most impactful things that Jesus does for us. We have to ask the question, why follow Jesus? Like, Why is it that we would even follow Jesus? Of what benefit is it? And I tell you right now, our teenagers are asking the question, why even follow? Because I think a lot of us have this impression that following Jesus is just about going through the religious motions. Like, we follow Jesus so that we can go to life groups. What? No, we follow Jesus because we have to go to corporate worship. What? That's not... We follow Jesus so we can go on cool mission trips. No, that's not, like, that's not why. The, the healing of the heart. Like, if, if we were to be real with ourselves and say that Jesus is the only person who can heal our hearts the way that our hearts need to be healed, like, that, that's real. That's a reason. And that, right there, if we tell those stories, but we, we've got to get below the surface. We have to get below. And maybe even for our own lives, we need to realize that our hearts need healed. So I've been in Regen with a few of our staff members for the past 11 months, honestly. 
And one of the realities that I wrote down in the very final step, what was surprising for me is that I needed healing. Like I, I didn't actually realize going in that my heart needed healing. It, it wasn't one of those things where I doubted my salvation or anything like that. But I just didn't realize that over the course of the year how much the Lord could do in my heart to heal my heart. Not from the issue of sin, like in this big picture, but in the issue of accumulated damage from sin. Not my sin, the sins of others around me. And of course, there was some of that from my sin. But it was that first time where I sat there and said, oh, I, I do hurt from what people have done. I do feel it. And Christ has been faithful to heal that. And so we, we just have to ask the question, how, how is Christ actively healing our hearts? And that, that just doesn't have the same ring to it as a brand new truck in the driveway. You know, it's, it's one of these things. Like, we, we, we talk about Jesus being this gift. It's not that kind of gift. Like, the reality is, I think a lot of us, when we think about jumping up and down for Christmas, you know, we need to celebrate Jesus just like we would every other Christmas. It's not every other Christmas present. It's bigger. It's so much bigger. And you don't jump up and down. I don't jump up and down when it gets past that level. I just sit there in quiet stillness and say, man, that's awesome. So the one really big challenge I would give you this week is as we're thinking through how we rejoice about receiving great gifts, I would just encourage you to unexpectedly bless somebody with a gift this week. Like put into like the most practical terms of, of this, bless somebody with a gift unexpectedly. I just wonder what it would be for us to kind of go out of our way. And that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking through back to, and the poor heard the good news. Like, who is it that I wouldn't normally think about? Blessing. But I, I want us to be people. And I, I want to hold myself to being a person who, who celebrates the, the coming of Christ by being a blessing to others. And then in that kind of like disorienting, why would you do this kind of way? Because that's one thing that I'm hoping comes from this is that I have an opportunity to hear from somebody. It just doesn't make sense that you would do this for me. Exactly. Like that's, that's the whole message of Christ. It doesn't make sense that he would do that for us. Maybe we can live that out in our own lives.